It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Recorded live. Hello. Who's that? Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello. Oh, I apologize for being tardy. We were, uh, we're, uh, we're really investigating radical forgiveness in the other group. So (laughs) it just inspired so much conversation. (laughs) And uh, it makes me so grateful to teach it again because it's such a good review. Oh, baby, is a good review. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Mar, why don't you uh, pray us in? I'm sorry, what's that? I said, why don't you pray us in? Ah, okay, hold on. Mother, Father, God, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be with community, to be with such an amazing group of people. I'm grateful for the space, and I uh, offer up any feelings of fear or doubt or insecurity that any one of us might be feeling at this moment. And I declare the truth of who we are. We are love. We are We are God. We are children of God. Um, and I share this with everyone, everyone here and everyone who may be touched by this message. And so it is. So it is. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to invite everybody right here now to just any distractions around you, turn them off, power down, uh, leave the room (laughs) so you can have five minutes where you're not, uh, you know, distracted by anything, any little thing. And get in a comfortable position and sit with your spine erect. And we're going to take five minutes together to simply clear our mind to the best of our ability and just be with God. Just clear our mind and be with God. How you do that is completely up to you. The only suggestion I'll offer is that you intend to clear your mind and connect consciously with God. I'll set the timer and I'll let you know when it's five minutes. So deep breath in and out, spine straight and begin.
in. Take a deep breath in. And out. <sighs> Beautiful. All right, so I'd like to uh, do a little roll here. And Chris Topkins, I see you on the call. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Oh, I like your morning baritone voice. It's very deep. <laughs> um, Mar is obviously on the call. Patsy? I'm here. Hey, uh, Amina? Marvelous, you here? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. I hit the wrong button. I'm here. Okay. You are forgiven. I've been practicing radical forgiveness. Oh, I'm glad. I'm so grateful. (laughs) Brian? Hello. Uh, It's uh, Ma and Baba. Um, uh, Mike? I'm here. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. I think that's it on the call, yeah, because... Lisa and Sushant are in Vegas. They're getting their Course in Miracles on. Great. Okay, coolio. So, I just have to come out of the closet and tell everybody that I am in love with Joel Goldsmith. Um, I'm going to invite everyone to just, again, get comfortable and sit in like an open, receptive space. So like hands open, heart open. You can close your eyes if you like. You can even allow your mouth to be open. And I'm going to read the uh, treatment that Goldsmith gives at the end of the chapter on page 40 to 41. And this will actually be part of your homework assignment this week is to read this every day uh, in the morning, seven days in a row, and share about your experience. Okay. God is my supply. My relationship with God constitutes my abundance, and it is because I am one with God that I have abundance, not because I am married, have patience, students, or business. If I had none of these, still my relationship with God is. I and the Father are one, and all that the Father has is mine. The harmony of my being is dependent only upon my realization of my oneness with God. The harmony of my body, the harmony of my purse, the harmony of my relationships in the world All these are dependent not on what anybody else thinks or does. It does not even make any difference how many depressions there are or how many wars. My fulfillment is dependent only on my realization of my oneness with God. My oneness with God constitutes the harmony of my being. 
My oneness with God constitutes the fullness of my health, my wealth, and my supply. My conscious oneness with God gives me enough truth with which to meet every human need. I am not dependent on person, place, or thing, nor can any person, place, or thing in the world affect my demonstration. My demonstration is a demonstration of my oneness with God, and that takes place within my own consciousness. Here and now, I dedicate myself to this truth. I and the Father are one, and all that the Father has is mine. God is the source of my being. God is the activity of my being. My relationship of oneness with God constitutes my harmony, and my oneness with God constitutes the allness and the all-harmony of my being, my body, my purse, and of my relationships. I have everything in the realization that only God is my being. No one external to me can intrude in or interfere with my relationship with God. Oneness is my relationship with God, and that conscious oneness nobody can take from me, nor can anybody add anything to me, because I love my neighbor as myself. I hereby know and declare that this truth is a universal truth. It is the truth about everyone on the face of the globe. I pray that God's grace will awaken everyone on earth to the infinity of his own being so that no one on earth may ever again envy another, be jealous of another, or covet the possessions of another, whether individually, nationally, or internationally, since God's grace is his sufficiency. From this moment on, I adopt as my way of life this statement. God's grace is my sufficiency in all things. No more do I look to man, woman, or child. No more do I argue or fight with man, woman, or child. God's grace is my sufficiency in all things. And henceforth and forever, I look only to the Father for the infinity of my good. Bam. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let us review chapter two. And we're reviewing these chapters in this book because they are, I think, a beautiful blueprint to support you with your spiritual counseling sessions and uh, your treatments, spiritual mind treatments. So... um, I'd like to just start in the beginning of the chapter, chapter two, begin prayer with God. And in the second line, uh, the first, let's just, I'm just going to read the first paragraph and then let's discuss this. There's one principle of infinite way treatment, which no student should ever forget. Never under any circumstances, give a treatment to a person, a condition or a disease. Never take a disease into a treatment. Never take a condition into a treatment. Never take a person into a treatment. I'm just going to read this next paragraph because it's too good not to. How is this possible? How can you avoid taking persons and diseases and sins into your treatment? Since every call for help that comes to you is from a person about a disease, a sin, or some kind of condition. If you understand that a treatment is a statement of spiritual truth, and that there is no truth about a person, a disease, or a sin, you will find uh, you will not find it too difficult to practice this principle because inasmuch 
and there is no truth about any of these, there would be no possible way to give a treatment to a person conditioned or sin. The only truth there is, is about God. So the only thing you can ever treat is God. So let's discuss this idea. What other... uh, This reminds me of something else that we've studied. Uh, We studied it in the first module of this uh, idea. And, you know, it's not like an uncommon experience for us to come across a say a similar teaching with a different teacher because we're all they're all teaching the same thing, right? They're teaching truth. So what um what other teaching that we've studied a little bit does this is this ruminant of? There's even a workshop done on it at the retreat this year. The golden key? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, so the idea, again, is put on the table. Turn your thoughts to God. And why do we turn our thoughts to God? Why in a spiritual mind treatment, in the treatment, why do we only bring God into the treatment? Because God is the only truth and God is the only healer. Yeah. We don't want to give any recognition, I can't say that word, to to any problem. We don't want to acknowledge a problem and, and try to make it true because it can't be true. Because the treatment is a statement of truth. Yes. I love that. Uh, it said it so plainly there. A treatment is a statement of spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. Spiritual They're not, truth. I mean, we're, we're not a physician, okay? They're not coming for, to us to get a diagnosis and to get help on something. They are enrolling us, and this is how you can work with it and perhaps get more comfortable with this idea. If people come to you for, their, for your support, they're coming to you for spiritual truth. That's it. And so we provide spiritual truth. Ours is a non-dualistic philosophy of love. The baseline understanding is simply God is. And so we affirm what is. Now, uh, what of course miracles is supporting us in understanding and, and, and wrapping our minds around our limited perception is more clarity around the idea that we are not these bodies. The truth about us is that we are eternal because we are an extension of our creator and the creator can only create that which is like itself. So we are eternal. Life does not begin with birth and it does not end with death. And the truth about us, you know, in this, in this truth is that we are uh, in truth, in God, there is no death. 
There is no dis-ease. There is no poverty. There's only abundance, infinite resource, infinite good, infinite good. Nothing in this physical realm is infinite. It's all finite. There's an there's a expiration date on everything, whether it be that one day the Empire State Building will come down. Nothing is permanent. And so in God, there's only infinite, the infinite. So we are just allowing, that's why quieting the mind and consciously connecting with God is so valuable, it's so important. Because we are, we will begin to experience the, what happens when we do. We spoke, I spoke on Sunday this last week about miracles and how the true miracle is not about what manifests in the physical realm. The true miracle is the recognition of God. It's the peace of mind that inspires an expression in the physical realm. And we'll say, but it was perfectly designed for me. Well, of course, it's a perfect extension of you because it's manifesting through your consciousness, but it's manifesting through your peace of mind. That's where the creativity expresses from. So the miracle is about you feeling peaceful, and when you are peaceful, your life begins to align with the peace. So it's not about getting the new job so then you can be happy. It's not about getting the boyfriend or girlfriend so then you can feel loved. It's about feeling loved and allowing and, and, like, God knows, like, we get it. Like, there's no secrets in the universe with you, okay? Like, if the true desire of your heart is to be in a loving relationship, once you feel love, you will express loving relationships. <laughs> you know, it just happens. So that's why, you know, I mean, so many of the things that talk about manifestation is get crystal clear, you know, get all the stuff, like, I, and I just say, quiet your mind. Get peaceful. And that which is going to best support you is going to express itself. And your heart's true desire will express itself in the form of relationships and, and career opportunities and financial abundance and being able to have exciting adventures. Like it will be an expression of your consciousness, of your interests, of your uh, talents, all that stuff. It will express uniquely as you. But it's expressing from, and this is the thing. People forget, get to the from. The from is the important part. The from is your peace of mind, your recognition of God. Who would like to share on that? I almost feel as if there's nothing to say that, that it says it all so perfectly. I can just relax in the in the bliss of knowing that. Mm-hmm. On the bottom of page 26, it says, Scripture says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. 
So that's the invitation again. Like when, and that's the golden key right there. That's like the that's like the old scripture version of the golden key. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When we're thinking of what isn't happening that we want to happen, are we in peace? Yeah. Yeah. When we're focused on whatever is happening in my body, this is bad. Are we in peace? No. Thank you. And we are focused deeply on the world of effects. So, so many of these teachings have just reminded us, stay focused on God. Go back to God. Go back to God. I guarantee Whenever you are in upset, it's because you are believing something that isn't true or you are putting your focus on, on a judgment. Now, I loved, loved, love, and I'm like, so I've been rereading the section in uh, Manual for Teachers that we read, How is Judgment Relinquished? And how it says, uh, let me just read a little bit from How Judgment is Relinquished from Course in Miracles. Um, Uh, Okay, here it is. The aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment in the usual sense is impossible. This is not an opinion, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one would have to be fully aware of an inconceivably wide range of things, past, present, and to come. One would have to recognize in advance all the effects of his judgments on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one would have to be certain there is no distortion in his perception. Let me reread that. And one would have to be certain that there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment would be wholly fair to everyone on whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who except in grandiose fantasies would claim this for himself. Remember how many times you thought you knew all the facts you needed for judgment and how wrong you were? Is there anyone who has not had this experience? Would you know how many times you merely thought you were right without ever realizing you were wrong? Why would you choose such an arbitrary basis for decision-making? Wisdom is not judgment. It is the relinquishment of judgment. Make then but one more judgment, but one judgment. It is this. There is someone with you whose judgment is perfect. He does know all the facts, past, present, and to come. He does know all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in any way. And he is wholly fair to everyone, for there is no distortion in his perception. Therefore, lay judgment down, not with regret, but with a sigh of gratitude. Holy shit. We don't have the perspective to judge anything as good or as bad. We wish we did. But unless we have all the facts on everything, 
all the players and the and the um, uh, the ripple of how it would affect everyone, past, present, and the future, then it is impossible for us to make a judgment. We don't know. We don't have facts. And it's saying, celebrate it. Oh, my God. Isn't it nice to, like, take away the role of the judge depending this is good or this is bad? I have completely surrendered the election to God. And I have to tell you, it's as if it's just not in my periphery anymore. I honestly like I mean I, I'm so I haven't I haven't read anything about Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton or I I haven't in in weeks. And I was inundated with it. I was I knew that a Trump presidency was bad, 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 bad. He's a bad person. Ted Cruz is a bad person. And it is bad, bad, bad that that happens. And when I read that part in A Course in Miracles, I said, holy cow, I don't have all the information. And I am definitely not seeing it from a perception, from a clear perception. I don't know what's going to be best for this. God knows, you know, I, I don't know what's going to be best for my little sister. Uh, and, and there's still a lot of work releasing judgment around that versus what's going to be best for America, for the world. So I just lay down my judgments. I get clear on how I'd like to feel. I hold the vision of an America that I, that I really resonate with, and I will direct my energy and my focus towards that, but that doesn't mean that I have to judge everybody else in the process. I don't have to judge Bernie Sanders as good as the ultimate good, because in my perception, I like what he's saying, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be the best president. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the information. How could I possibly have all that information? And when I release the judgment, I feel peace. I feel peace. So when somebody comes to you for spiritual counseling and they say, I've been diagnosed with cancer. It is not our job to say, oh my God, this is bad, this is big. We don't know if it's bad. We don't have the information. And our only job, our job is not to offer our opinion. Our job is to affirm the truth that God is that God is infinite, that life is infinite. The truth about this person is not that they are a body riddled with cancer. That is not their truth. The truth is that they are an infinite being, an extension of the divine. And we just remember that truth because in the peace of God, in the stillness, if we can support that person in experiencing the peace of God, then they have access to the miracle that can manifest in their life. And maybe it manifests as a cure. Who knows? But maybe it doesn't. We release our attachment to the outcome. We trust that the healing has unfolded because we know that all peace, and remember, we go back to this, all healing is done at the level of the mind. So that's what we're talking about. The healing at the level of the mind is simply recognizing God, the peace that comes from that recognition. The circle is open. Are there questions or thoughts or 
any way that you can relate to this or connect? One one thing I really loved was um, the section about not defining God. Um, that was something that hit me where we, we try to, uh, you know, give God attributes that are actually like only of a human perspective. And and so when we just understand that we don't understand and God just is, there's something so powerful in that. And it, you know, of course, ties in to what we're, what we're saying where it's like we just don't know. We don't know. We don't even know what God is. We just know that God is. And we don't know what this is for. We don't know what the cancer is for. We don't, you know, but but taking it above human perception to where we can't even understand, but we put our faith into, you know, gives us power to heal. I love that. Oh, Mike, I have to tell you, it's when it maybe I, I've read that section ten times this week. I mm. think that it might be my fa- one of my favorite things that we've read in this entire curriculum. Yeah, I love and, it. And you know, yeah, I love it so much. And Mara, it actually made me think of you and a lot of what you've shared about. You know, you're like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm willing, but I don't know. And I love that this just gave you permission not to know. Like, how could you know? <laughs> how can how could any of us know? Like, chill out, Bucky. Like, <laughs> you know, um, this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. We go ahead and finish your thought. No, nope, that was it. Um. Yeah, this section was uh, uh, definitely one that really resonated with me as well. Um, although <clears throat> there's something else about it that uh, that came up for me, and I kind of wanted to share that. It's um, it's interesting because he, the author, brings up the fact that you know we um, we vainly attempt to define God, um, and. On the bottom of page 28, he says, it's far better to divest ourselves of all concepts of God, and that certainly resonated as true. And then on 29, he says, "What, what is God as mind? Quickly, it comes that God is intelligence. Intelligence, how do we know that God is intelligence? What makes us call God intelligence? To most people, intelligence is considered, and he goes on to say, basically, because we are limited in our understanding of certain words, if we attempt to assign those words to God, then we're, in in essence, attempting to limit God. Makes sense. Um, later in the page, he says, why not be honest and confess that we do not know what God is, and with that admission, we are really beginning to understand God because the minute we realize that we do not know or understand God, we are getting closer to it. When we arrive at the place where we are absolutely stripped of every concept of God, of every belief about God, or every theory about God, then we are drawing close to an actual God experience. Again, feels very, very true. But what I thought was interesting was on page 30, um, he writes something that I think inadvertently, I'm guessing inadvertently, actually illustrates why this is so challenging for us. Um, He says uh, in the middle of the page, when we reach the point where we acknowledge that God is, and when we are willing to stop there and not try to define what God is, 
we are at the most wonderful point in our experience. For what we are virtually saying is, Father, I know that thou art. And so right there in that moment, he actually identifies God as Father. It's an actual identification. It's a word that has uh, context. It's a word that... um, um, carries meaning for us. We hear the word father and we think of something. And so it's really interesting. Um, There's also a point a little further in uh, on page 32 where he says, God is the source of all action. God is the intelligence concerning all action. So again, there's intelligence. And I think what comes up for me with all of this is I, I get the absolute kernel of what he is saying here that we do need to divest ourselves. It's best to divest ourselves of any understanding of something that is, frankly, ununderstandable to us. Um, and yet, uh, and and I understand, you know, that we're trying to grow in the knowledge of what it is to say that we are not these bodies, and we are not. But while we exist in this paradigm, while we exist in human form, um, the bodies are part of the deal, and we have brains, and our brains have ways in which they organize perception. They convert senses into experiences, and the contextualization is sort of built into our machinery. The words that we use, we use them because otherwise we figure we're not going to know how to communicate with each other about anything. And so it's very, very difficult for us as human beings with brains Even when we're able to still our minds, quiet our minds, what we're not doing is completely shutting them off. And it's very difficult for us to understand anything without some sense of analogizing, some sense of context. And so for me, it becomes more of an exercise of saying, um, uh, if if, if, if it occurs to me in a moment of feeling profound love that God might be love, Instead of me trying to strictly define God as love, understanding that I have a limited understanding of love, I instead think of it as God is something akin to but probably transcendent, most likely transcendent of my notion of love. God is something akin to uh, but no doubt transcendent of, transcendent of my understanding of intelligence. But I think it's really, really complicated and really challenging for us to completely divest ourselves of You know, am I making sense? Like, you know, at some point we say Mother, Father, God, or we we refer to love, and I don't know that that's so much about us trying to put God in a box as much as it is. um, You know. Yeah. Hey. I think that all all that makes perfect sense, and. Um, I would say, hold on, I have to let it percolate. I mean, his point is, I, I, I really do understand the point, and yet I feel he was even, it was even impossible for him to write out the rest of that chapter without attaching some sensibility about God to his discussion of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if he was saying that he was totally there. Um, I think perhaps... Yeah, and I'm not he, saying that either. I'm saying it just really illustrates how challenging that is. Well, because language um, is limiting as well. 
language is limiting. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 For sure. It's, you know, you can't really, you can't really talk about this, but we want to find a way to understand it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to contemplate the phrase, God is. I remember when I read um, Disappearance of the Universe for the first time, and like the big reveal at the end, you know, the big, they're, they're like the truth of all things ever. And they said pretty much like, they're going to reveal it at the end of the book and you kept talking and I just knew, and I never heard this phrase before in my life either, but I just knew, I'm like, I think it's God is. Like, God just, God is. <laughs> and I couldn't fully, and listen, I still can't totally wrap my mind around that because this is the process of unveiling Goldsmith even says, oftentimes it feels like an upward climb, you know, uphill climb. And it feels, uh, you know, it takes commitment and it takes practice, practice being in the presence, practice recognizing the divine. And also, you know, I remind everybody too that this was written in like, these are, um, I think, transcribed teachings of his from like the 40s and 50s. Like this dude was saying this, I didn't even know this stuff was, like, it was invented <laughs> back then. Uh, I remember when I first started reading this, I'm like, where was this stuff when I was growing up uh, in Renton, Washington, with my Baptist family? Um, so, uh, so back, like, and I share that because he refers to God as Father often, Creator. And I suspect that were he to be teaching today, it would be different. He would be speaking differently. But um, what we have to remember um, at that time in America, you know, I mean, 90% of the people were Christian. And so many of the teachers were speaking to, uh, you know, the Christian mind so that they could they could hear it. They could begin to digest. They could start making the, um, they could start, you know, connecting the dots and doing their own transformation. A lot of, you know, Course in Miracles is written to Christians, you know, to support them in um, retranslating, having a new translation of the teachings of Jesus. Um, so, yeah, so I agree with Amina. Language is limiting, and I agree with Cassie. Like, there are ways that we have to try to like we are, it's not living in denial. That's, that's ridiculous, you know. Uh, we can't live in denial that we're not having these experiences and that the focal point of this experience is our body. And I would just invite everyone to really look at where you speak in definite, you know. Um, and uh, I have a teacher that really... Um, challenges us to like even this week she says why does it, why do we believe that this has to be challenging that's just a belief system that, that, that this has to be challenging it could be joyful mm-hmm. and fun she goes let me tell you something releasing people pleasing from my life is so joyful it is so much fun healing people pleasing and I was like yeah that's right it can't be fun what if we allowed it to be a joyful awakening but we 
we've all sort of agreed that it's got to be challenging. It's got to be painful. We've got to move through the fire. And maybe we do, but, you know, there's no... I think what Goldsmith is really challenging us to consider in this is, you know, stop, one, release the judgments we don't know, and two, um, stop trying to, you know, uh, I think speak in definite is what I would say, because we only have our limited perspective based on the, based on the belief systems we developed through our experiences. And so how do we use this information when we are supporting others? Here's the question. So um, let's, I'm going to throw out an example. And Chris Tompkins, why don't you play, play this round with me? And um, I'm going to uh, give you what I'll be the client and I'm going to come in with a, with, with a situation or challenge. And you're going to tell us how you would hold that in prayer for the person, okay? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, I've been unemployed for six months. I'm out of money, and I have a job interview tomorrow, and I have to get this job. Please pray that I get this job because I have to be making money again or else I'm going to lose. uh, I'm going to lose my apartment. I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to... um, my partner already left me, and I, I, I'm going to be homeless on the street. So, so just please pray that I get this job. How would you um, – you don't have to actually do the prayer, but with that information, how would you keep, not bring the person into the treatment, not bring anything or situation or circumstance into the treatment? How would you hold that? Um, I, I would – let them know that I understand that that could be a scary experience. Um, and I, I can understand how they could be fearful right now, but I would say that we can't know what the highest good for them is right now. But what we can do is we can just pray that we align ourselves with that. And so just pray for the highest good and that, you know, knowing and trusting that everything is unfolding perfectly and that life is happening for them. And if they can align themselves with that peace, then I think that would be the ultimate goal in that moment is is to just to get them to a place of at least being able to understand getting to peace versus trying to figure out what it's going to look like. Is it your job to get them to that space or is it your job to stand in that space? I think that, yeah, it's the latter. It's the standing in that space of of peace, allowing them kind of on an energetic level. Not even if they get there, they get there. If they don't, they don't. But that would be the that would be my goal, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think this is a, actually a very great point that we should uh, all get really clear on is um, is our job as 
uh, which I think Chris sort of explained really beautifully, is not to get enrolled into their story. We don't get enrolled into their story of desperation or this is good or this is bad. Remember, we don't have all the details. We have no idea if uh, this person getting the job is for their greatest good. We have no, we have no idea. How could we possibly know that? Um, you know, the best thing for this person might be to not get the job, to get kicked out of the apartment, to have to move back to St. Louis with his family, and in St. Louis he gets the job of his dreams and meets the love of his life. We don't know. We have no possible idea. So it's our job to remain, you know, diligently focused in the understanding that God is. And God is the sufficiency of all. God is supply of all. That there is uh, the peace of God. In the peace of God, all things are possible. And so sometimes, too, in situations like that, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want you to be telling them, yeah, it's okay, but you know, it's not about the job. It's about being peaceful. Because, you know, we've all had the experience of being so stressed out because we're so deeply embedded in our belief system that we can't, we can't hear that right now. So in the treatment is where we just declare the truth. We get all the information. We just listen passionately. We understand. And, you know, we don't offer our perception unless they say, well, what do you think? What, 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 what would you say? What would you suggest? You know, we listen. We listen. We listen. And in the treatment, we just keep it on God. And we remind ourselves that, in God, all things are possible. And God is infinite. God is infinite intelligence beyond what we can even comprehend. And with that, it's, it's, it's infinite supply. And so we, we're reminding them without reminding them, if that makes sense. We're just affirming the truth in their presence for them, about them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Brian. Yep. Um, yep. All right. So let's say I come to you, Brian, and I say I've just been diagnosed with liver cancer, and it's in the early stages. And uh, I just need you to pray that that the cancer goes away because um, I have so much I need to do in this, in this world. So can you please pray that the cancer goes away and that I make full recovery? So how would you, and just in treatment, not necessarily how would you counsel them, how in treatment, how would you address or affirm? What would that look like? So the treatment being your affirmative prayer. This, this is actually a perfect question for me because this is a, a dilemma that I'm that I'm having. I I absolutely understand everything that the course is saying. I understand that we don't understand what anything is for. And at the same time, in my history, in my tradition, I have prayers answered. I have stories of saints specifically healing people. I know I'm not a saint, 
but it brings up the question, why can saints heal? And I'm, I'm very disturbed by the idea of, I don't want to, to do lip service. I don't want to say, blah, 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 you're fine, you're perfect, you're whole and complete, you're sold, and it's not your body. I'm not concerned with your body. I don't know how to do this, really, Jesse. I don't, I understand it intellectually, but my heart says I cannot do this until I really understand fully why prayer works or why it doesn't work. It's just a dilemma for me, and I've got a lot of work to do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, perfect, and I agree with you. You can't do it until you fully believe it, you know? So in your yoga tradition or Buddhist tradition, when the saints have healed people, what is a saint? Tell me about what is a saint. Fully realized being one with God. Okay, so it is fully realized being one with God. So a saint is a representation, is sort of a manifestation of the divine, yes? Correct. Okay, so and can the divine see in all directions of time and space? Yes. Okay, so if a saint being... Uh, you know, an emanation of the divine, I I suspect that the saint can also have that understanding in all directions of time and space, yes? Okay, so the saint would know. The saint doesn't show up to a random person. You know, the, sh- the saint would know that it, is, it would be in the highest good for a healing to unfold in that way. Is that fair Correct. to assume? Correct. And All it's right. also so based on the person's on the person's faith that's coming to them. When the person yeah, comes so, to them with faith that they can heal them, they get healed. So it's really on the person coming also. Yes. The and, person coming for treatment. And we can assume that we can assume that um it was for the greatest good of that person, for that person's spiritual evolution, yes? Yes. And also for the greatest good of others because these are documented experiences that have supported other people in aligning with love, yes? Yes. So if it helps you contemplate that an entity that represents the infinite intelligence of the divine supports others in miraculous healings, it's because they knew that it it would serve them. I have to imagine there had been other prayers with people with just as much faith that didn't have a healing in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. So those stories are designed to support us, you know, um, in understanding that. But they're that mind. And listen, who's to say that a miraculous healing in the physical realm won't unfold? It might, but it will be... Well, that comes to the core of my dilemma. Do I pray for them to be healed? Do I actually say the words? But then... uh, No, Brian, pause pause for a second. Pause for a second. You have no idea whether this person should have a physical healing or not. You might want them to, but what you want isn't important. You pray... Remember, the miracle is the peace of mind. The healing, if it is to manifest, if it's for their highest good and manifest in the physical realm, will manifest. You can't keep that from happening, but we do know that it will spring forth from 
alignment with God, with God's mind. So with from peace, it will blossom from peace. So we are praying for the peace. Yes, 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 yes. We get really attached to how it's going to manifest. And remember, and then we think that we've failed because it didn't manifest in the physical realm in some way. But remember, the Course says, release your attachment to how, trust that it's done, and release your attachment to how it's supposed to look. Because you don't know. So that's what all healing is done at the level of the mind is. It's We are holding the space for perfect peace. Yeah. No matter I'm, what I'm aware of that. I, yeah. I, I get all that, and it's just that I'm making this transition because all the time, you know, we even say to each other, I'm going in for surgery. Please please pray for me. We We are accustomed to a certain type of prayer treatment. And I, I know the correct way to do it. It's just that I'm in this transition, transitional phase. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the immediate and unconscious response, response has always been, yes, I'll pray for you. I'll light a candle. I'll, I'll ask God to heal you. And the transition is to hold the space, I guess, of being with them, knowing knowing who they are and me being in that place of peace and creating that space of peace that they can be in without looking for a specific outcome. It's a, it's a transition in, in uh, my thought process and in mm-hmm. how I've held belief. And admitting that I'm not there yet, it's just admitting that I'm in this process um, and, it's, and it's okay. <laughs> I don't completely feel okay because I still want to pray for people and pray for their healing and, you know, because that's, that's how it shows up. We even as practitioners do it. Is anybody else besides me having this dilemma? Um, yeah, Brian. I was, <laughs> I, I'm so grateful that, that you brought this up because that's a dilemma for me as well. It really is. Um, Um, you know, and um, I don't know. How do you tell somebody who's got liver cancer that everything is going to be okay? Um, because at that particular moment, it's not okay for that person. And I always, I don't know what it is, but I've always had a real issue and of people saying everything is going to be all right. You know, pacifying things like, like, saying something like that because at the end of the day that person doesn't feel that way. I think that in my own experience it's always been more about holding space for that person more than anything else because there's really nothing that you can possibly say to somebody who's going through something like that that's going to really at the end of the day make them feel okay. Um, well, I'm going to pause for just one second. Is that true? I do in my own experience. I mean, you can you can make feel you can make people you can give people comfort. But at the end of the day, I don't know how to face somebody who's dealing with such a tragedy and tell them that everything is going to be okay. I I I you know, I I think that there's um 
for me personally, I feel like there's a bit of disingenuousness with that. And um, I well, I'm, that's I'm part of, of me that that's that's in conflict a little bit. You know, I I, under, I understand what you're. I I totally hear what you're saying. I totally hear what you're saying. And I also hear that that being okay is contingent with them, uh, with the cancer going away. Like, like that you, you, you identified it as a tragedy. That um, it's a tragic situation to be moving through an experience like cancer. And, and the tragedy would be attached to the belief that <clears throat> if the physical body <clears throat> is not well, then something's wrong. Then this is bad. This is really bad. And so it is a, uh, you know, it it is a transformation. It's a it's a evolution of. And again, remember, we're studying spiritual philosophy. This is this is spiritual counseling. It's not physical therapy. It's not. We're not. We're, we're focusing on the spiritual truth and aligning with the spiritual truth being the ultimate truth. And we've been trained the complete opposite. Remember when we read The Hero of the Dream, the section of that, where the body is the central character. In the material world, the body is the most important thing, period. And this is what we have a lifetime of learning this information. And so what's new is you're introducing a new belief system that what if the body wasn't the most important thing. What if our true nature, the truth of who we are, is spiritual? And life does not begin with birth, and it doesn't end with death. That's why we, can, we, we studied the material last module about a continuation, a going forward. So it, um, you know, we, we explore the teaching of Jesus with the resurrection where he, share, where he showed us the teaching were not these bodies. And yet we were identified with it that we have decided that if the body is safe and okay, then that is good. But if something threatens the body in any way or seems to threaten the body, then this is bad. This is a tragedy. And how can I tell this person that it's not a tragedy? And you know what? They may be holding it as a tragedy. Your job is to know that we don't have enough information to know that it's a tragedy. And so for all intents and purposes, I'm going to hold in the space that uh, is that's the design of the universe. And you might, and it doesn't mean that it looks like you're going to get what you want. Anyone that we're praying for, they may not get the job. They may not, the relationship might not work out. The health might not come back. Why, does, why is that bad? We can trust that the greatest good is unfolding. Does that make sense? Um. No, it it does make sense, and 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 that theoret. I mean, I get it in my head, but to actually apply that principle and provide comfort for the person that you are treating, um, I that that's a hard one for me. I mean, because in some ways, yeah, maybe maybe I have certain expectations of wanting to heal this person or whatever through through the treatment. But I don't know. 
you know, and to go into a situation where you are supposedly doing a treatment with somebody and then tell them that everything is going to be okay. Uh, Mar, yeah. Mar, I don't, I don't believe it's saying that everything is going to be okay. I think, first of all, we have to understand that everything is okay, to look at the bigger picture, to look at the soul, as Jesse's saying. That we're that at that level we're really not concerned about the body. Everything is okay. When you know that it's okay, even death, even cancer, even everything, that's just the playing out of the drama of the person's life. If we really get that everything's okay, then we don't have to worry about, about anything. We can just hold the higher the higher uh, vibration. I I right. want to go a a little bit deeper into into a, a prayer experience that I had. My my friend was uh, almost, he was ready to graduate from college, and he had a circumstance that, that was going to prevent him from, from graduating. And I prayed to Yogananda, as I usually do when I, when I want assistance with everything, anything. I prayed to Yogananda G to assist him and, and have a, a positive outcome, and a positive outcome was there. Now, again, I'm holding that a positive outcome is what he wanted, not necessarily the positive outcome. Everything's positive. You know, if he didn't graduate from college, that would be the divine plan also. So it's very subtle here that uh, I'm, I, I know that the divine plan has nothing to do with any particular outcome or any particular scenario. And here I am praying and, and prayers getting answered. <laughs> so, so you see my conflict, Rev. But it's but here's what I'm saying is, it, it might get answered. They might it might unfold perfectly for them. That's great. That's okay. Cool. I, I don't want to say that's great because I don't want to have any judgment on that being good or bad or anything else. It just is. And it's an extension of the consciousness. Yeah, our experience brought him closer to God. Got him, got him to realize, you know, that that you can you can pray, you can have a relationship with the divine because he was an atheist before that. There you go. Who knows what the greatest good that's unfolding there is. And <clears throat> Mar, you know, I invite you just to consider, like, you know, your, we've talked so much about, you know, who's doing the healing in the experience, you know, and, and to, um, you know, oftentimes people don't have the same information you have or the faith you have. And bringing comfort to them in a situation like that. What is comfort? Comfort is, a, uh, you know, it's under the umbrella of peace. So you're supporting them in feeling peaceful during an experience that might feel really traumatic and scary for them. And it's not about trying to convince them that, that, this is, that they're going to make it through this and it's going to look a specific way. It's just about knowing that right here and right now with this breath, everything's taken care of right here, right now with me, all your needs are met. How do I know that? Because you're standing right in front of me. The fear of what might happen is only a fantasy. It's only a fantasy. We have no way to know what's going to unfold, but we can trust that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. And we can get out of the results. We can get out of our judgment. Because if their judgment, if their happiness is based on whether or not they have a physical healing, and that's just a... It's a judgment. It's a judgment. And so we're simply aligning with truth. We're aligning with love. That's our job. We just and we we align with it by just affirming it. We just affirm the qualities of God. 
So in God does peace dwell. In God does beauty dwell. In God does luminosity express itself. In God are all needs met. This is what I know. This is what I know. Because you're not here to be a fortune teller. You're not here to manipulate or lie to anybody about it's going to be better than it is. Who knows? But we take away our judgment that better is them getting healed. We trust that the greatest good is always unfolding, always unfolding for their life stream. Yeah, if I might insert something as someone who has had the experience of being a cancer patient and um, receiving prayer treatment, um, I think this really boils down to, like, uh, everything you just said, uh, Reverend, is, um, you know, I totally, totally resonates. Um, but, I, uh, not but, but in addition to that, I would just say that as a matter of practicum, I've had um, two different sets of experiences with people who were giving prayer treatment. One that I felt was quite effective and the other which was not. And I just think um, part of what might be tripping, I don't want to put, I don't want to assume anything more, but part of what might be tripping you up on this is there there are times when um someone is praying for you and there is um um they have sort of this theoretical understanding of everything being exactly as it should be in that moment but the manner in which they express that to the person who is being prayed for um feels glib or dismissive and so i think just as a matter of practicum it's always important for us to bear in mind that this person finds themselves in this place they may or may not be aligned with your understanding of how things are and um, there's a certain sensitivity that's necessary in approach and in language Uh, and it isn't necessarily um, about becoming um attached to that person's story or taking it on, but I mean, there's a certain amount of just basic sensitivity that is is helpful in those situations. And so I either had someone who was standing in the truth of who I am and what is, and it wasn't even it wasn't even necessary for them to um, articulate all of that to me, but they knew it, and so the prayer treatment that they offered up was really one that helped to usher in. Uh, a, a state of peace for me and a state of uh, of emotional well-being. And then there was the other person who sometimes uh, ha- it, all, it almost seemed to have a, an attitude of, um, I mean, I, the only word I can think of is dismissiveness or glibness, and it was sort of the approach of, I remember once having um, someone who was the, the spiritual leader of my community at the time say to me, uh, you know, is there anything I can pray for? And I said, yeah, I'm... Um, you know, I just received. I, I had been clear. I'd been in the clear from cancer for uh, f- almost five years, and I was diagnosed again. And I brought this up to her, and her first statement was, uh, "What do you think it is inside of you that keeps inviting the cancer back?" Not necessarily the most effective thing. Right. right. Wow. wow. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it just shut me down to even be able to, I mean, all I could focus on the entire time that she then went into the treatment was, what am I doing wrong? You know, why do I want cancer? You know, and this is, so I think it's, you know, as a matter of practicum, there is, there is you know, we do have to show up with 
sensitive, you know, a, 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 a certainty of who God is and what is at the same time a humility uh, in the face of what we do not understand and loving kindness in the way that we, the way that we engage in prayer treatment. Of course, of course, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I mean, no. listen, compassion, compassion is a fundamental quality of a practitioner. So we have to listen compassionately. We have to understand where they are. There's no coldness to it. We meet them where they are. We support them. We lift them up. We we surround them with love. It's all coming from love. And it's not a, you know, to, you know, there's so many um, in some spiritual communities like, oh, you have cancer. That means that it's a repressed feeling. It's that, 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 that. Oh, you have a rash. That means that you're not communicating yourself to this. So why aren't you communicating? And how could that possibly be true for everyone? How could right. it possibly also, be true for everyone? Right. You know? How could it possibly be true if we actually accept this teaching that we have today, which is that we do not know what anything is for? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, that's part of it. And I understand that it's part of my own thing of feeling like um, feeling helpless because in some way, you know, I mean, yes, you are there. And, and I think for me it's about wanting the best for this person. And I think that it's about my own discomfort with not knowing. And mm-hmm. here's somebody who's coming to you for assistance. Mm-hmm. And you're in the midst of all of this, and they're dealing with a real-life challenge, like, you know, a life-threatening illness. Um, so... Mar, let me ask you. Oh, this. I came to you and I said, Mar, I've been diagnosed with um, I've been diagnosed with X, Y, and Z, and uh, and I is it the is it going to be the best thing for me? <clears throat> is it going to be the best thing for me in the world if I uh, beat this thing? I mean, in all honesty, I, I mean, having the facts that you have, if I said, is this the very best thing for me in the, in the world in its entirety if I, if I make it through there? And just honestly, what would you say? I mean, like, if, if you were talking to your friends, you'd be like, what, what would the obvious answer be? You know, I see, and that's the thing. What are the words that you use to make this, because depending on how this, I mean, the only thing is, is that I don't know what's good for anybody. Pearl, oh, you just said it. You just said it. You just said it right there. That is exactly what you say. You look at that person, you say, oh, honey, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that right here, right now, you're here with me. You're breathing. And all your needs are met. This is what I know. I don't know what tomorrow brings or what's the best for anybody. I don't know. I don't have that information. We don't claim to be wizards or psychics. But what we do know, like, we're, but we can be present. We can be present and compassionate and listen. And then my treatment is to, you know, feel the presence of God and allow, just affirm the qualities of God. Offer up the fear. Offer up the needing to know. You know, what if we offered up the need to know what the best outcome is going to be so we can be in the present moment in the stillness of love. 
So it's giving yourself the break of, you know, like taking the pressure off yourself. Never have we ever taught that you need to be, you're responsible for the outcome of someone, you know, like we don't know. And so we, but we, but we can just be available. And, that's and it's the in that, yeah, 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 listen, it's being authentic, being, your authenticity is so powerful and so healing. And it's when we are inauthentic in these experiences that it comes back. And like, much like I think Cassie's experience with the person said, well, what are you doing to invite the cancer back? What? I, I, what? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. exactly. I, didn't come, I didn't come here to get guilty. And the fact is we don't know. Right. What you not know what favorite thousand right. So all right. Yeah, some, sometimes ahead, death can, can be the, the perfect the perfect outcome. And sometimes my wanting to heal somebody is just my ego. Just look at how bitching I am that I'm so close to God and I can heal. You know, well, I, Nazi spot, I, I mean, listen, here's here's just a random theory, you know, that we could play to just contemplate. If we're not these bodies and since I'm practicing radical forgiveness right now, teaching radical forgiveness, and if we're, all, if we're all communicating at the level of the soul, and what if the best thing for my sister, what if I am so dedicated to the awakening and healing of my sister, right? And we're, we have a soul contract, we're soulmates. And I, I agreed that, like, in order for my sister to feel free, to feel empowered, to do, and let's say my sister's contract is to begin this whole movement that's going to, support the lives of millions of people and wake them up and it won't ever happen unless I give up this physical body so she can move through the experience of releasing me so she can then be ignited and inspired to do whatever that is. And in my full contract, I was like, yes, I am so honored to lay down this physical body, which I'm not really at because I am, you know, one with the one. And let's say I didn't get that on my mental level with my perception, but that's what the soul contract was and it became known to me at as I continued on and whatever, like, and it's all good, but if I didn't pass away, then she wouldn't be able to fulfill what she needed to do. And at the end of the, whatever, when Mar and I met back up on the other side of the veil, I was like, damn, that was the best thing that I could have ever done. And Mar's like, yeah, bro, shit, I thought that was awful, but it turned out that was great. You know, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> you know, so... And Brian said it, you know, it's really about, about the ego, you know, and a lot of it is about my my own discomfort um, with with certain things. And um, so, yeah, so, so thank you. Thanks, Brian, for bringing that up because it's something that I've been sort of grappling with. And also, you know, consider Mar... What does that discomfort give you? What value is in the discomfort? Is it giving you permission not to really go there? Is it giving you permission to stay in that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I can't say before. Is it keeping you out of taking the next step, which is unknown and maybe uncomfortable, of standing in the truth of like, you know what? I do know. I do know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely something to consider. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely yeah alright guys five minute break uh, we'll spend a half an hour with the Force of Miracles and um, stretch your legs refill your water and um, let's, let's meet back here in five
Okay, we are back. Let me just um, I want to begin by saying how grateful I am for this group because, you know, so helpful in the in, um, structure to be of real service uh, hey Jesse you're kind of cutting out am I early okay Let's see. is this better can you hear me now yeah much better okay sure what was up with that um Thank you, Chris. Uh, so, yeah, so what I was just saying was I'm just really grateful that we are able to have these uh, conversations. And, again, I don't I don't know how many people are having conversations like this. Um, I'm really grateful that we're having them because I feel like we're creating a really strong foundation and structure to be of service to other people, to be really um, relatable and um, powerful practitioners and counselors. And um, so thank you all for showing up. Thank you for continuing to be willing to have real conversations to, uh, to not people please so we can really ask the questions that are on our mind, to learn how to hold them, to work with them with our own experiences and our own perceptions, to be willing to expand our perceptions um, Truly, it's it's a, it's an honor to it's an honor to facilitate these discussions. It's an honor to walk this path with you, and I will never, ever, ever, ever forget this first group and the experiences we've had. What a journey we've had together, and what um what a gift it's been to 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 be on this path with you guys. I'm getting emotional. I'm feeling it, feeling it right there in that throat. The heart where the heart and throat meet. Yeah, um, it's so liberating to be able to share the the hopes and fears and doubts and all of it, knowing that it's that it's not just me, that it's all of us going through it, and we're all helping each other go through it. It's such a blessing. Yes. Yes. So we're going to actually start with number thirteen. I know we didn't do twelve yet, but thirteen I think actually really supports our conversation that we had earlier that we were just having with Mar and Brian and um, and Patsy and, and well, all of us were having. So what is the real meaning of sacrifice? And so, um, Amina, you're going to start the reading. And uh, we'll have to see that there's eight paragraphs. It's uh, what is the real meaning of sacrifice? It's number 13 in Manual for Teachers. If you have the third edition, it's on page 33. So there's eight paragraphs, so we're going to have four readers. And um, why don't we let uh, Amina start, Mike, Chris, and Patsy. Yeah, so we'll let um, those four, and then me, Brian, and Mar will listen, actively listen. Uh, so uh, Amina, Chris, Mike, Patsy, that order, uh, and just do a paragraph at a time. And um, why don't we 
just read all the way through it, and then we'll go back and we'll um, look at specific sections, okay? So, Amina, whenever you're ready. Okay, number 13, what is the real meaning of sacrifice? Although in truth the term sacrifice is altogether meaningless, it does have meaning in the world. Like all things in the world, its meaning is temporary and will ultimately fade into the nothingness from which it came when there is no more use for it. Now its real meaning is a lesson. Like all lessons, it is an illusion, for in reality there is nothing to learn. Yet this illusion must be replaced by a corrective device, another illusion that replaces the first so both can finally disappear. The first illusion, which must be displaced before another thought system can take hold, is that it is a sacrifice to give up things of this world. What could this be but an illusion, since this world itself is nothing more than that? It takes great learning both to realize and to accept the fact that the world has nothing to give. What can the sacrifice of nothing mean? It cannot mean that you have less because of it. There is no sacrifice There is no sacrifice in the world's terms that does not involve the body. Think a while about what the world calls sacrifice. Power, fame, money, physical pleasure. Who is the hero to whom all these things belong? Could they mean anything except to a body? Yet a body cannot evaluate. By seeking after such things, the mind associates itself with the body, obscuring its identity and losing sight of what it really is. Once this confusion has occurred, it becomes impossible for the mind to understand that all the pleasures of the world are nothing. But what a sacrifice, and it is sacrifice indeed, all this entails. Now has the mind condemned itself to seek without finding to be forever dissatisfied and discontented, to know not what it really wants to find. Who can escape this self-condemnation? Only through God's words could this be possible. For self-condemnation is a decision about identity, and no one doubts what he believes he is. He can doubt all things, but never this. God's teachers can have no regret on giving up the pleasures of the world. Is it a sacrifice to give up pain? Does an adult resent the giving up of children's toys? Does one whose vision has already glimpsed the face of Christ look back with longing on a slaughterhouse? No one who has escaped the world and all its ills looks back on it with condemnation. Yet he must rejoice that he is free of all the sacrifice its values would demand of him. To them he sacrifices all his peace, to them he sacrifices all his freedom, and to possess them must he sacrifice his hope of heaven and remembrance of his Father's love. Who in his sane mind chooses nothing as a substitute for everything? What is the real meaning of sacrifice? It is the cost of believing in illusions. It is the price that must be paid for the denial of truth. There is no pleasure of the world that does not demand this, for otherwise the pleasure would be seen as pain, and no one asks for pain if he recognizes it. 
It is the idea of sacrifice that makes him blind. He does not see what he is asking for, and so he sees it in a thousand ways and in a thousand places, each time believing it is there and each time disappointed in the end. Seek, but do not find, remains this world's stern decree, and no one who pursues the world's goals can do otherwise. You may believe this course requires sacrifice of all you really hold dear. In one sense, this is true, for you hold dear the things that crucify God's Son, and it is the course's aim to set set him free. But do not be mistaken about what sacrifice means. It always means the giving up of what you want. And what, O teacher of, of God, is that you want? You have been called by God and you have answered. Would you now sacrifice that call? Few have heard it as yet, and they can but turn to you. There is no other hope in all the world that they can trust. There is no other voice in all the world that echoes God's. If you would sacrifice the truth, they stay in hell. And if they stay, you will remain with them. Do not forget that sacrifice is total. There is no half sacrifices. You cannot give up heaven partially. You cannot be a little bit in hell. The word of God has no exception. It is this that makes it holy and beyond the world. It is the holiness that points to God. It is the holiness that makes you safe. It is the denial you attack any brother for anything. It is denied if you attack any brother for anything. For it is here the split with God occurs, a split that is impossible, a split that cannot happen, yet a split in which you surely will believe because you have set up a situation that is impossible. And in this situation, the impossible can seem to happen. It seems to happen at the sacrifice of the truth. Teacher of God, do not forget the meaning of sacrifice and remember what each decision you make must mean in terms of cost. Decide for God and everything is given you at no cost at all. Decide against him and you choose nothing at the expense of the awareness of everything. What would you teach? Remember only what you would learn for it is here that your concern should be. Atonement is for you. Your learning claims it and your learning gives it. The world contains it not. But learn this course and it is yours. God holds out his word to you, for he has needs of teachers. What Or need of teachers. What other way is there to save his son? So, what is Amina Sanchez, what is a false idol? A false idol is something that you give power to, uh, that you believe in and allow it to have an impact on your experience. Yes, and I apologize, Amina Bliss. (laughs) Yes. A false idol is anything that you give power uh, that you give power over your peace of mind. So anything that you allow to dictate your peace of mind. So 
let's name a couple things that we've created false idols of. Jobs. Jobs. Okay, great example. So, what do you? How is that a false idol? If you think you need a certain job or you need a certain work experience to feel peaceful, that's right. Yes, status or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, if we give our job uh, the power to power over our peace of mind, it's a false idol. So yeah. if we don't have the right job, if we don't have the right position within the job, if it's a job doing something that, um, you know, that we don't want to do and, uh, or, or whatever it is, you know, job that's not what we... Or if we don't have, have the job. job. <laughs> exactly. Or if we don't have the job. Right. All of these in, things in, dictate our peace of mind. Brian? In my generation, we call it our position in society, not just your job, but your position in society, which is a little broader. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, or your yeah, your pay scale, all of that. Your reputation, you know, what people think of you. Uh, so mm-hmm. much of, of what we did is for acceptance, to be part of the status quo, to be, you know, to not make waves, all that stuff mm-hmm. that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, you said sex. Yeah. Okay. Um, Big surprise, Mike said sex. So, (laughs) what... uh, Spiritual slut. No. I'm Uh, I'm not energizing that for you at all. Um, (laughs) What, uh, how is sex a false idol? Well, it definitely keeps you, um, like, in, in the body. It serves the body. Um, it, it definitely uh, can give power, uh, have power over our peace of mind. Yeah, if we're not having it, that means something, doesn't it? What does it mean if we if we're not having sex? What does that mean? It means that we're unworthy, unloved. Mm-hmm. Undesirable, right? Undesirable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're having too much sex, what does that mean? That we're unclean or uh, I don't know. That we're a slut, right? That we're a slut. <laughs> yeah. Especially, God forbid, if a woman has too much sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if you have sex with multiple partners, there's some shame in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what about what if you're in a relationship and you're not having a lot of sex in the relationship? What does that mean about the relationship? That it's doomed to fail. That it's uh, unhealthy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Unloving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. I guess that could also be, uh, what about, you know, associated to um, having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or being in a relationship, you know, have being married or all that. How is yeah. that a false idol? Uh, I mean, very similar, just not feeling desirable, not 
feeling worthy, feeling unlovable, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. feeling alone, lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does it mean if you're alone? What does it mean if we're alone? Yeah. Like, yeah. like in the eyes of the world. Like, what, what oh, do we make in the it eyes mean? of the world. What, is, what do we make it mean? That we're a failure. Mm-hmm. That uh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. Good. What's another false idol? That's just it. money and sex. <laughs> what about um? Yes, yeah, standing in the world's fame. Mm-hmm. What does it mean if you're famous? It means you're important. Mm-hmm. Yep. That uh, does your does your opinion matter more if you're famous? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Does absolutely. <laughs> so, in terms of sacrifice, what is the course saying that you have to sacrifice? Is it saying that you're not allowed to pursue the job you're interested in, to pursue a relationship, to enjoy sex? Is it saying any of those things? No. No. Mm-mm. No. What is the sacrifice? And it's saying you're actually sacrificing nothing, but what is the sacrifice it's asking you to make? Giving up the belief that it's it means something? Yes. Yes. Spot Ding, ding, ding. We must sacrifice nothing in order to have everything. Meaning, to embrace self-sufficiency, to embrace our truth, means that we are in acknowledgement that we are perfect, whole, and complete. And that is the biggest threat that we can make to the ego. The biggest threat that we can make to the ego is that we are perfect, whole, and complete without any validation from the world. Mm. Brian, can the body be a false idol? Absolutely. How? <laughs> it's, it's everything. <laughs> It's uh, my source of pleasure, my source of just, you know, it's it's the complete identification with, with who I am. Well, to support to the conversation and all that. Yeah. yeah, well, to support the conversation before, if the body is, if there is something wrong with the body, what does that mean? Are we allowed to be peaceful if there is cancer in the no. body? No. Something wrong with me. Yes, 
well, just like that person said to Patsy, well, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? <laughs> what? Which, when we were having that conversation, I was thinking about the book of the subconscious mind and how the subconscious mind creates our reality and why do we create disease with our subconscious mind? And that's another whole tangent to get off on. Mm-hmm. I mean, God forbid that we experience, you know, healing from disease is not necessarily meaning that it goes away, that the symptoms of the disease go away. It's that we are, get clear as to what it's here for. And that's always the... Um, that's how we get to work with it is, what are you here to teach me? What am I supposed to know about this? What am I to understand through this experience? Not go away, because if it's here, then we can assume that it's supporting us, supporting us in awakening to our truth. And it's, and it's manifested in the only way that will best support us. And so how can that be bad? It might be scary because it threatens the ego. It's threatening the ego's most precious false idol, which is the body. So if the body's threatened, then that's red flag, sound the alarm. But really what's being threatened is your belief system, the one we've cultivated so passionately this lifetime. So one of the worst one of the worst uh aspects of for me of having had cancer um uh, was just the physical discomfort and um uh, even that taught me a great deal and I, when we were on the 5 minute break Mar and I were talking about this you know we don't know what anything is for and when it comes to medical um situations, um, often there's a gift that accompanies them. And I I know for a fact that there are things that were activated in my life, affirming things that were activated in my life as a direct result of me having had that experience. I know that that experience grew my compassion. I know that that experience um, allowed me to begin really considering what it is to... um, allow discomfort um, and to and to be quiet in it and to and to be open to discovering what the gifts of even that discomfort might be and I just this morning on Facebook posted an open letter from a friend of mine who is a brilliant painter I mean he is just an exceptional artist uh, as well as being a great musician and he's been diagnosed with macular degeneration he's been losing his eyesight he is very close to completely blind right now. And he is happy, 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 happy. Um, he he sees this all as just a new adventure in his life, and he's convinced that this may be the opportunity for him to do the greatest painting he's ever done because now he has to paint from some other place. Now he has to see the world and see his work in a way he's never done before. And so that opens the door for something new and exciting and uh so yeah it's not the the idea of attaching good or bad to it really is quite uh quite egoistic 
I mean, we really don't know what glory or what gift lies in the things that feel uncomfortable. Preach. That's a beautiful story. I love that story. So it talks about, it says, what is the real meaning of sacrifice? It is the cost of believing in illusions, the price that must be paid for the denial of truth. There is no pleasure of the world that does not demand this, so it does not demand um, denial of the truth. For otherwise, the pleasures would be seen as pain, and no one asks for pain if if he recognizes it. So what is, what does that mean? Like, why is pursuing, you know, pursuing or seeking for peace outside of yourself, why is that a prison? Chris? Because it just, it's, it's a, it's a constant state of discomfort because then if you're seeking outside of yourself, then it's like this, just this continuous cycle of, of needing to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. How long, Chris, does it take for you <coughs> to get, like, okay, as soon as the new iPhone comes out, how long does it take before you start to notice how sort of inferior your iPhone is? <laughs> to start desiring the new iPhone. Yeah, no, that's so funny because I actually, you know, I remember I I would share this with everyone when I first got my, I was one of the late to get the iPhone 6. And I remember like when I, was ordered like I ordered it and I was like so excited to get it and you know I like I just I was so excited and then I got it and then I was like I don't really feel any different like it's the same phone it has serves the same functions like I didn't it was like kind of almost this like letdown in the sense of okay well what's next like what what next new gadget am I gonna <clears throat> hope for or get. Well, exactly. Well, what? Well, okay, okay. I'm bored. Now what? I need something else. I need something else now to make me happy. I need more. I've done this. Okay, now what? You know, I uh, I uh, had an experience with my husband, and I'll share this in the confidentiality of the group that. I looked at, I, I pulled him aside and I was like, babe, you know, we have to, uh, we got, we got to stop bringing the, the, the laptop into bed with us at night and watching Netflix as we fall asleep because I feel like we're just zoning out together. And I was like, we really held the space to have this, you know, this, this marriage was something we both really, um, intended and held the high ground for and I'm interested in allowing it to deepen and to really, you know, I'm 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 open for us to deepen our um intimacy and our connectivity and um I don't want to have get in the position of, well, I got married but 
and now I need something else. It's not, it, you know, it's, it's a constant, for, for me, it's, we have to remind ourselves of the value of our commitment in our marriage and our relationship and to do work around that. Otherwise, you're like, well, okay, now what? You know, now what? Okay, like, you know, now we need to get the kid. Okay, now what? Okay, now we need to, you know, whatever. You know what? My partner doesn't see me anymore. I need a new partner that will really see me, you know. Um, and it's that constant seeking if we're, if we're expecting the things of the world to fulfill us. And that's why, that's why, <laughs> I love it so much. That's why the miracle is the peace of recognizing God and what grows from that is to be enjoyed, but that's not the miracle. The miracle wasn't that I got married to Chris. The miracle was that I had enough peace in my life to receive his love, to receive his affection. That sprung from the miracle of me loving myself enough to allow someone else to love me too. Because that was a long road for me, you know, So it will express in all so many different ways because we all have unique experiences or we all have different lives, we all have different interests and talents and gifts. So the miracle will express in so many colorful ways that the true miracle is the peace of mind, the recognition of God. That's why we spend time quieting our mind, quieting our mind. We must sacrifice nothing to have everything. Allow the intention, the focus to be on experiencing the peace, allowing the peace, which is already here. Not getting the stuff that we think is going to make us peaceful. The relationship, the new place to live, the car, the job, the money, the deal, those are all false idols. Allow all those things to express from a place of contentment and peace. <clears throat> all right, you all. Your homework is to read number 12 in A Course in Miracles and to share about it in the Facebook group. I'll send you out an email to remind you. And uh, also to read chapter 3 in uh, chapter 3 in Goldsmith. <clears throat> the practicality of spiritual living. Chapter 3 in Goldsmith and uh, review number 12 in the Course in Miracles and share your takeaways in the Facebook group. I will be um, oh, one uh, one other thing. Uh, it's to uh, the prayer on page 40 and 41 in our spiritual resources, the treatment, the mind treatment. Um, part of your homework is to read this prayer, uh, this mind treatment, every day in the morning, first thing in the morning, every day for seven days in a row. And be, dis and be prepared to discuss your experience in class. So the prayer 
in page four on page forty forty one in our spiritual resources every day, first thing for seven days in a row, longer if you'd like, and be prepared to share your experience. There's no class next week. You have a week off, so enjoy it. And um, I also invite everybody to, uh, if you are uh, interested, to audit, listen in to the new practitioners class that Brian and Amina are facilitating. Um, I've been listening to the recording, and it's really great. I'm really uh, inspired by the work you two are doing. Really wonderful at holding space. Very clear, very, very clear. I invite you, too, to review that, review the the classes so you can hear just how clear you are. Um, But it's really great review. It's really great um, to uh, just listen in. It's always so important to review the basics and to go back. So I invite you to do that. Um, and if you're interested, just shoot me an email or Brian or Amina will give you the passcode to the talk shoot. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Jesse, uh, in the Course in Miracles, what is it that you wanted us to read again? Number 12 in Manual for Teachers. Number 12? Um, uh-huh. How many mean? teachers of God okay. are needed to save the world? Okay, I got gotcha. you. How many and, and I got in the world? And I dropped out of the call for a second. Uh, we were giving the homework. It's number twelve, of course, in miracles, chapter three in Goldsmith, and every morning, uh, page forty forty one, that uh, we went over earlier. You got it. Yep. I'll send you an email with that information as well. Perfect. Today was so, cool. Woohoo! Yeah, guys, good conversations today. Uh, these are getting deep, yo. <laughs> Um, I really, like, I find myself really, like, bringing the discussions we've been having with me throughout the week and really contemplating them. So, again, I'm just so grateful. So, taking a deep breath in and out, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come together, just to share with one another, to grow, to peel off the layers, to tear down the idols, to release the hostages, and to shine our light. Sending so much light and love to Mike in New York, just surrounding him, knowing that where he is, God is. And to Lisa and Sushant in Vegas, surrounding them, lifting them up. All of our friends around the world. God is, God is, God is. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Have a beautiful weekend, guys. I look forward to seeing some of you tomorrow at service. And I love you. Bye. Bye. I love you. Thank you. Bye.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.